Hello, and welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast, where we invite you to join our journey to understand how older athletes can achieve high performance and longevity in athletics. I am Joe Lavelle with Dr. Glenn Winkle, and this is episode 26 of our podcast. Glenn and I are joined today by inspirational athlete Trenny Willerton, who is also the founder of It Could Be Me, a nonprofit on a mission to change the relationship between drivers and vulnerable users of the road by rehumanizing cyclists and creating a movement of mutual responsibility and respect to make the roads safer together. Just a few years ago, Trenny decided to get back into shape after gaining weight during multiple pregnancies and changed the course of her life. She met her husband Nigel in a race. She progressed to being a high-performing age group triathlete with a goal of qualifying for the Ironman Triathlon World Championship in Kona, Hawaii. On the cusp of achieving her goal, she was nearly killed by a speeding driver while she was training on her bike. Her story was already inspirational, but now Trini had only five months to recover from immobility in her hospital bed to race in Kona as the representative of Women for Tri. With her signature determination, Trini achieved her dream of racing in Kona. With this experience, her passion for bike safety led Trini to found It Could Be Me. Listen in to hear Trini tell her story and outline the programs in It Could Be Me. Okay, welcome everybody. Today I am here with Glenn Winkle and Trini Willerton. Trini is a mother of five, a high-end amateur triathlete, and the founder of the nonprofit It Could Be Me. Welcome. Hi, Joe. Um, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to talk about It Could Be Me and about all these wonderful things that are happening and not so wonderful things as well. So thank you. Well, thanks for joining Glenn and I here. The topic of trying to make roads safer for cyclists is an important one to all of us here on this conversation. And I think probably to most people listening in, anybody who's ridden their bike out on the road has had a problem of some sort or another, and they know just how vulnerable they are out there. And so the work that you're doing is really important. So we're going to talk about It Could Be Me your organization here and the backstory to how did you come to found this? It was more than just, you thought it was an important thing to do. You have a personal connection to how dangerous the roads can be. And we want to get into that. This is a topic that's personal to everybody, everybody who's ridden out on the road. I mean, Glenn and I were just talking yesterday about his experiences being hit and his friends. Glenn, do you want to tell us a little about that? Well, yeah. I mean, this past summer, I was in Florida for like three months. And after a couple of weeks, I just stopped riding the bike outside. It was way too dangerous. And I've ridden for 40 years on the roads, and I've never seen situations as dangerous as that where the cars are really out to run you off the road. Um, and I've had, you know, 12 friends of mine were killed by cars um, in the last 40 years, mostly in California. So, um, I mean, it's a dangerous sport. I re- every time I ride, I realize I'm aware when a car goes by me, a, a slight flick of the wrist, they're watching, they look at their text message or something, respond to a text message, and I could be history. So I'm very much aware of that. And as you know, there's a funny story that goes with this. I sometimes will choose the bike trails because they're, quote, safer. <laughs> That's another story. So anyway. Right. Yeah. And I fortunately have not actually been hit by a car. I've had a a city bus try to brush me off the road once, but never had to go to the hospital from being hit by a car. But I've had many, many close calls, and some of them were on purpose. The driver just was trying to teach me a lesson, I think, trying to brush me back. It's just an odd thing. But to be honest, I can remember when I was the driver and how frustrated I would get with cyclists. It's really a two-way street. I mean, the cyclist could be smarter, and they could do things to make it less aggravating for drivers. But drivers need to understand just how vulnerable people are and to act accordingly. I mean, how devastating would it be I, if I was to hit somebody by accident? I'd never get over it. I'd never forget that I had done that in just a moment of carelessness. It's just so important for people to remember that we're all people out there, no matter what function you're playing at that moment. I mean, sometimes I'm on my bike and I love to ride my bike and sometimes I'm in my car and I love my car. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes I'm running. There's just so many multiple roles that we play when we're on the road. And the whole purpose of It Could Be Me is to remind people that we're all people. 
We all have people that love us that are waiting for us to come home safely. And, you know, just look out for us and look out for each other. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that's another thing. That's a differential with it could be me. I mean, we don't point fingers. We're all about just that, creating that empathy and trying to remind each other just to look for each other on the road. That's basically our main goal. Right. Well, and, and you and I have chatted yeah. and your story is sort of amazingly powerful. <laughs> I'd like to get into that, how you were so fit and long-term goals that you'd had that this set of circumstances then allowed you to achieve by overcoming so much. And then in the end, gave you enough of an impetus to do this. Could be me, which is doing so much good work. Could you tell us the story? Yeah. So I was not your typical athlete. I mean, growing up, I was, you know, I tried all the teams and I just I just never was very good at any of those. And I had my babies. With each baby, it seems like my body just knew how to make babies by gaining an insane amount of weight. <laughs> so with each baby, I had like a 50-pound gain weight. And my last two babies were only 22 months apart. And so I didn't really have a lot of chance to lose the weight. So when I gave birth, I found myself in this place where I didn't really recognize my body. And I was not happy. And I made this decision that I was going to change things. And I just never looked back. So I joined this group of women in my gym. There was a program where we would meet every day. We would meet with a nutritionist and we would have all these like training sessions. There, That's where I met a friend who invited me to do uh, a turkey trot. That was like my first race. And it, I lived in Houston. Houston is humid. It's really hot. It's not an inviting environment to exercise outside. And so when she first told me, I remember thinking, oh, gosh, no, why, why would I do that? It's gross outside and it's full of bugs. And <laughs> so, But I went from that, that was in November, and my first triathlon was in April, the following April. Within that time frame, I started training for longer races, running. And I really, I remember running with this group of women that, at one point, I told them, oh, I'm going to start triathlon. And they said, no, I would never do that if I were you because you'd have to ride a bike. And that is so dangerous. And oh. yeah, isn't that interesting? But, yeah. but I said, no, 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 I I, I want to try. And so I did. And I, I fell in love with it from like the first race I was in. And I chose my husband and we met at a race. We both signed up really, really late for this race. And so we were in the worst possible rack. It was just him and me. We were talking. And then we never saw each other again until that was in August because it was the day before my birthday. And then we saw each other again in December. He did this crazy but amazing um, fundraising event in um, Ethiopia. They oh, ran my. 20 consecutive marathons, him and like about 10 other athletes. Like 20 days in a row? Yes, 20 marathons, oh. one every day. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was crazy. So when he got back, that's when we started seeing each other. It was interesting. He was training then for Ironman Texas, and he was guiding a blind athlete. Our whole entire like courtship was like that. You know, I did every single session with them to the extent that our friends thought that I was doing Ironman Texas. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I'm doing Ironman Florida in November. And they're like, oh okay, <laughs> you just did all the training, but, and I love to train. And so anyway, so that became kind of what we did. That was our dates were long bike rides and all of our friends were in, in the same arena. So I went from being friends with people that had an Ironman as like a life bucket list thing, just do one and done yeah. to people like Nigel and his friends that were doing two or three Ironmans a year. Yeah. It became that, like I said, that was our, our lifestyle. I started training harder. I started becoming faster, especially on the bike. I started entering some road races. I did two time trials in Texas and I won. Nice. The state championship. So I, I won that twice. But I just couldn't get everything to click in, in the long distance. I mean, something would always happen or my nutrition was off. I mean, something was just not clicking. Anyway, so then we moved to, to Boulder. Suddenly, this was in 2016. So 2017, I started reaping all of the 
benefits from training at altitude, from really, really concentrating on my nutrition and getting everything right. So 2017 becomes like my best year racing. I make all American. I start podiuming at Ironman, um, like shorter distance. And at at that point, I say, you know what? I'm going to try to qualify for Kona. And that was like the first time I ever said it. And so I worked super, super hard. And, and again, just focusing on, on the half distance as a prep. Yeah. I actually gave my coach, I think, six weeks, which I don't recommend to anybody to do. But that's how long I trained for Ironman Cozumel at the end of the year with a super solid, very, very strong base. I think I did about four half Ironmans that year. And the last one I did, I came in second place. Nice. I was in the run course. And it's funny because I'm not a strong swimmer. So every single race I had, I would always miss the lead pack because they were so far ahead from me in the swim. But again, I was working so hard on my swim. I had a fantastic swim in in North Carolina. Suddenly I couldn't see the girls, but I, I always assumed that they were so far ahead that I couldn't see them. Like always, it always happened to me. But no, I was leading the race in my age group. And so when I got to the run, Again, I couldn't see anybody in my age. It was just really weird. I'm like, where's everybody? And suddenly, like about mile four, this woman comes next to me. And, and she is in my age. I'm like, oh, hi, how are you doing? Um, so have you seen anybody else? And she turns to me and says, yeah, there's a woman that got stopped at a penalty box. And then there's you. So you were first and now you're second. Bye. <laughs> what? <laughs> and, you know, I just thought she was mistaken. I just, you know, like, no, she's delusional. We can't be first and second. I'm probably like sixth and seventh. And she just didn't see the other girls. But no, she was right. I came in second and I wanted to break five hours. I think I did a 503. That was the fastest one I've ever done. And then I was ready to go to Cozumel at that point. I felt really great. I was really strong. No injuries, which is also, you know, something that we always have to kind of battle with, but everything was in place. So I go to Cozumel and I came in fourth. So in Mexico, they only podium three. So I didn't podium (laughs) and I missed the Kona slot by like two people. And it was just like, (laughs) so I came back to Boulder and I said, okay, fine. I'm going to qualify in Boulder. I signed up for Boulder started training. I was on that course every moment that I could, whether it was the run course, then so I knew the run course and then suddenly they changed it. I'm like, oh, great. (laughs) So then I had to relearn the run course, but the bike course, I was on that course every single moment I could, could, I had an opportunity. Like as soon as my kids were gone to school, that was my training time. So I was either swimming or running or biking. January goes by, February, March, and then May 1st, my friend calls me and she says, hey, Trini, I just saw something on Facebook that is perfect for you. Are you talking about the Women for Try thing? And she said, yeah. So Women for Try is a division of um, the Ironman Foundation. They give out one slot a year. It's a fundraising slot. You have to fundraise $25,000 and you get to represent Women for Try as their inspirational woman of the year. When my friend Dana told me that she thought I was a good fit. I was like, no, I'm not inspirational. I mean, I've lost some weight and I'd love to encourage women to, to participate in triathlon and to be healthier and all this stuff. But all the women that have done this are truly inspirational, right? They've overcome like these horrible things. And, but she said, no, 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 no. I'm going to help you. We're going to put the, the application together. I'm a writer. So just out, let me, I'll take care of it. So we got together for coffee. She asked me all the questions. We went through everything. Then she said, why don't you get testimonials? At that point, you know, I've been living in Boulder for like a year and a half or so. And I've been just really lucky to meet these amazing people. So I remember I reached out to Leanda Cave, who was helping me with my swimming. And she was one of my testimonials. I mean, I I don't know. We, we had a really good application together. And that was May 1st. My crash was May 8th and the application was due May 10th. And so when I was in the hospital, she called me. And, you know, at that point, it was kind of like surreal because I couldn't even move within my bed. She called just to check in on me. And I just remembered, you know, I remember how hard she worked. She said, well, what do you want to do about the application? And I'm like, oh, just submit it. And she's like, what? Are you okay? I was like, yeah, yeah, just 
just turned it in. It'll be fine. And she just, yeah, she added this little um, paragraph at the bottom saying, you know, this just happened to my friend. She's in the hospital. But if anybody can do it, it's my friend. I mean, she's so tenacious and she'll get it done. So then the Ironman Foundation started reaching out to Nigel without me knowing, really. I mean, they they wanted to know if physically I was going to be able to do this because we haven't talked about the crash just yet. But I was in the hospital with over 12 fractures. I had um, a punctured lung. I mean, it was it was pretty bad. Yeah. But yeah, so, and I guess I should now talk about the crash. Um, Let's come back and explain what you're calling a crash, what that really was and how did that happen. But go ahead and finish this bit of the story of you were selected for this, the opportunity that allowed you to do what? So... I got um, selected as the inspirational woman for Women for Try for 2018, which meant I had to fundraise $25,000 and I had to re- recover. I had to train and I, you know, I got to be in Kona for that you race. Got, and got to go to Kona. Mm-hmm. And so it was a huge, huge goal, obviously. I mean, I had five months <laughs> to recover well, not just recover, you had to then get back into shape. You know, that's the thing. And that's something that's super important for people. If they're going to find any inspiration in the story to find that inspirational, the fact that I was so strong really allowed me to recover the way I did. Uh-huh. All of the doctors concurred. I mean, it was, I always thought that, you know, all that training that I did, it was like, this recovery was my other Iron Man, you know, like my additional Iron Man. They started contacting Nigel. I really didn't know. All they were waiting was for all my doctors to give the green light. When I started talking to them about it, the, the logic was, well, we'd rather you not, but we know you are. <laughs> so let's just give you the tools so you're not going to hurt yourself in the process. In the hospital for how long did you say you? I was in there for six days. Six days with broken bones and all kinds of other things. And so who could doubt that you could quickly come back to swim two and a half miles and ride your bike 112 miles and run a marathon? Who could doubt that? I mean, mean, that's really quite astonishing. No wonder they were nervous to say, should we really do this? This probably won't work out, but it did work out. (laughs) Yeah, so... I had, again, a wonderful team of doctors, of therapists. Um, I have a friend here in Boulder. Her name's Eni Jones. And Eni, I had been trying to get a swim session with Eni. And I, for whatever reason, we had not been able to connect. And finally, she reached out to me. You know, she found out all these things. She was like, I'll help you. I'll help you. And, oh, my gosh. I mean, Joe, she was in the water with me three times a week. She, I had to relearn how to swim. Because keep in mind, I have six fractured ribs. I have a fractured scapula. My lungs starting to heal. I have a triple pelvic fracture. All these things don't work well when you're trying to swim. And so I had to really use very alternative methods. Eni's great for that. And I can tell you without a doubt that if it wasn't for Eni, I would not have been able to do that swim in Kona. And not only do the swim, but actually enjoy the swim. I was sad when I got to the turnaround boat because I knew it was going to be over pretty soon. I was like, what? It's almost over. No. <laughs> and, you know, that that was completely different because before the crash, I was just surviving the swim. Literally, I was just waiting for it to be over so I can just get to the bike and, and do what I loved. Yeah. So my attitude totally changed. And, you know, Eni was a fundamental part of of my race in Kona and Eni, I don't know if you guys know who Eni is, but Eni was a pro uh, triathlete and she was one of these phenomenal women that would beat the men. Like back in the day when everybody got in the water at the same time, Eni was the first one out of the water. She specializes in long distance swimming, doesn't she? Oh yeah. And and now she swims all over the world. She's like a mermaid that, you know, just got reincarnated. So yeah. So I trained with Eni. I had my coach. My coach was really kind of reluctant. She kept asking me if we could just not do this the next year. And I said, no, this is the year. At one point, I did start to kind of feel not defeated, but I was starting to panic because I had not run longer or walked longer than six miles. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I started asking, I'm like, well, maybe I could do this in a wheelchair because there was nothing that was going to stop me. I mean, yeah. at, at that point, I was 100% committed. I ended up fundraising $32,000. Nice. And I kept like a digital diary. So every day I would try to post videos so people could follow what, what I was doing. And it was really, really cool that, you know, a lot of people got involved. Every single thing that I was able to do, like through that whole entire process, I can say that it was like just being grateful. There was nothing I felt like, oh, well, this this crash took this away from me. It was now I have this opportunity and, you know, I celebrated every single little thing that I was able to do every day. And it was, I think, that mindset that really got me through to be able to, to do what I had to do. And, and just appreciating, you know, I'll talk a little bit more when, when we talk about the crash, but it was appreciating the fact that I had this opportunity to live, you see, and to see my kids grow up and just to, to not have that taken away from me. So that yeah. was, was the most important thing. And everything else was just like, oh, and yeah. I get to do this. I get to go to Kona. I mean, that's amazing. So nice. So every single instant of that race I was just it was just joy it was just happiness it was amazing yeah nobody would ever say they were glad that this happened but you sure turned lemons into lemonade yeah you managed to accomplish your goals despite and even I think maybe you've accomplished more than you originally wanted now with your organization yeah so why don't we talk about actually this what you're calling crash. a crash because somebody crashed into you is what's mm -hmm. happened here. And then coming from that, what you have been able to accomplish. We ultimately want to get into the weeds of what your organization does. I think you were a part of getting a bill passed in Colorado for bicycle mm -hmm. safety. And so some of these things are really interesting to hear, but make sure that you don't skip talking about Charles. No, 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 of course not. So it's a beautiful May morning here. There's, you know, the weather's perfect. The kids go off to school. I have a couple of centuries left. I think this is in a century, meaning a hundred mile ride before I have to go to um, Ironman Boulders. Nido was supposed to come with me. I rarely ride alone. I, it's just not something I like to do. But that day... He had something to do. So we had said that we were going to meet halfway. Like I would, I was going to ride for about two and a half hours and then he was going to meet me at the park and we we're going to finish the ride. We went, went through the route. I was initially going to turn on Neva, but for whatever reason, I decided that I wanted to do the course in the right direction because otherwise I was going to be doing it like in the opposite direction. So anyway, so I set out, it's about nine o'clock. I remember making all these mental notes about how dangerous it was from my house to Nelson. There were so many construction sites there, just lots of little things that when I got to Nelson, I remember feeling a sense of relief. I was like, oh, I made it. All I have to do now is cross Nelson and I'll text Nigel and I'll let him know that I'm okay. And that will, that just never happened. Nelson Road is a it's a very fast road. They've decreased the speed limit since my crash. I later learned that it's like a cursed intersection exactly where I got hurt. A lot of people have gotten hurt there. And so as a result from all these multiple crashes in my crash, they've now reduced the speed limit. It's only 35 miles an hour now. There's flashing yellow lights and there's a, a sign that says, um, please watch out for cyclists turning. And of course, I've been there many, many times, and mm -hmm. it's very common. The cars come up so fast, you get over to turn left, and there's no car behind you, and suddenly there's a car that's mm -hmm. behind you because they were, Going so I mean, fast. I don't even know what the speed limit is, but they were doing far more than that. They just appeared over the horizon and were on you quickly. So yeah, it's a scary corner. I always say that, Joe, and I'm glad that you, you were able to live that and be okay but i mean when i say that people just look at me like how could you have not seen the car and like i i didn't i started merging i signaled because i was going to merge then i i was going to turn so i signaled i turned and the next thing i saw was his grill yeah. there was no nothing well he must have been going fast 
So later I learned um, I had multiple witnesses and one of my witnesses was actually there to put flowers on Charles's bike. And we'll talk about Charles in a second. Yeah. But she said she was with her husband and that this vehicle just passed her. And because she was so anxious, because she was going to go to see a ghost bike. I mean, she was, she was very hyper vigilant at that point. She, before they saw this man, she asked her husband, I think you're going too fast. And he said, no, 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 no. Look, I'm going the speed limit. You know, they, they made that comment, which was really interesting. And then a couple of seconds later, this man passed them. And back then the speed limit was 55 miles an hour. So this guy passed them going faster than that. I don't understand how I'm not dead (laughs) because all I had to protect me was my helmet and my bike. I'm turning. This guy T-bones me. I don't understand his reasoning because he, we were heading eastbound. He hit me on the westbound lane and he crossed the double yellow. Like he did all these really bizarre things, really weird choices. I don't yeah. know if he was just, he saw me in the middle of the road and said, oh, that stupid woman, I'm going to teach her a lesson or I'm yeah. just going to buzz from and scare her or whatever. And he didn't really see me signaling or he didn't anticipate that I was going to sing. I really don't know. But the point is yeah. he crashed directly into me and I flew. I never lost consciousness. So you you remember flying through the air? I remember everything. Mm-hmm. Wow. And all I could think of were my kids and Nigel. And I kept thinking, you know, I'm just so stupid. My monologue is I'm so stupid. What am I doing here? I'm so stupid. I should be on my trainer. What am I doing here? And that alone is so wrong because why shouldn't I be out there, you know, doing what I love to do? I mean, this is ridiculous. I, yes. I didn't do anything wrong. I had lights. I had, I had everything. Yes. They take me to the hospital. I don't get to talk to the police. This guy stopped. The first person that came to help me turned out to be a nurse. Oh. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. And, you know, we kept calling Nigel at that point. Um, <laughs> we were getting all these crank calls. So Nigel wasn't answering the phone because he couldn't recognize the number. Uh. So we had to call him three times. And finally, when he got him on the phone, he stood up. And this other lady came over, and she was a nurse too. She was the one that was there to put flowers on Charles's bike. Okay. So Charles is a cyclist or was a cyclist and he was like me riding his bike May 8th, 2017. So one year before. Exactly to the date. And he got killed. So at that exact spot, he mm-hmm. was killed. And that's why there was a ghost bike as a memorial yeah. to him. And, you know, I don't know what you guys believe in, but I, I believe that Charles had a lot to do with me not being dead. I've become really good friends with his daughter and they're just lovely people. And I think there's this connection there. And that I guess that's another reason why I was always so grateful and I'll always be so grateful because I know there's Charles and there's other friends that I've had that have not been as fortunate as me. And I did struggle with survivor's guilt for quite some time until I figured out how to channel everything. And so, Well, that's great. So, yeah. So, yeah, so I go to the hospital and... At that point, I can't talk to the police. I have a phenomenal lawyer. I just happened to be that, you know, we ride with him. And I had all these resources that I later came to realize that, you know, people don't usually have. And it's something that you hear about, these crashes and these horrible things that happen to cyclists and to other people. But you never really think it's going to be you. I was out there for over, for like about a decade I had multiple friends get hurt and, you know, I just, I was just oblivious. I was oblivious to how dangerous it was. I was oblivious to what all of these nonprofits are doing to make roads safer. I was oblivious. I was even a member of Bicycle Colorado and I'm very embarrassed to admit that I had no clue what they did, but you know, they were for bikes and the support them. Yeah. (laughs) Just crazy, crazy. And I don't, I think I'm not alone. Actually, I know I'm not alone in that. And that's why I think it's important that we change all of that. Yeah. So, yeah. So we, um, I spent six days. I had six fractured ribs. I had my scapula. I had a triple pelvic fracture. I had my teeth were just a mess. Oh no. And that, that sounds really trivial, but it's not. I mean, it was really painful and really horrible and you can see the caps kind of 
After I get back from the hospital, the police come to my house and I'm finally able to give my statement. Yeah. And when I talk to the police, they're they're like, oh, so now it makes sense because we have the point of impact on the westbound lane. And this man had outlawed, I mean, he lied to the police. And yeah. it was very frustrating for me too because the daily camera called the police station. And I think this is also something that we have a lot of like education surrounding how how the press talks about crashes and and the words and how powerful our words really are but anyway so this guy from the daily camera calls the police station the police station only has the police report which says only what this man said and this man said that he was on the road and i just swung in front of him from the bike lane no warning nothing that i just swung in front of him and that's why that it was my fault and that that's why i was hurt and so I'm in the hospital. I can't reply because, you know, my doctors don't even want to want me to be on social media. And my lawyer doesn't want me to reply. He's like, you have to talk to the police first. And so I'm sitting there watching, like, all my friends defend me. I'm like, Trini would never do that. You know, she's been writing. We've written with her for so many years, and she would never do that. So then I get to the point where I can, you know, actually give a statement the police start putting things together and they realize that, yeah, now things make sense. The point of impact was on the westbound lane and not on the eastbound lane, how this guy had initially claimed it had happened. And so, yeah, so moving forward from that point, it becomes like this whole learning process and experience for me because I've never been a part of this. I have to learn to detach myself a little bit emotionally because I start understanding that the criminal case, it's not me. I'm, I'm just like the witness, the stellar witness, but it's the state against the, the perpetrator or the, the, the guy, the driver. And so through the months that this took, it was just draining because I, I, I couldn't understand. I learned that what his penalty would be. And I was just, just blew my mind. Um, at that point, Careless driving causing bodily injury in the state of Colorado implied four points on your driving record. Four points. That's it. That's like a reckless driving. Reckless is worse. See, reckless would have been better at that point because reckless implied eight points. Oh my gosh. So four points is... It's like forgetting your insurance card. I mean, something ridiculous. And so... All of this, all of these things are like adding in, like insult to injury. I mean, I, I told my kids, and they were like, "What? I mean, this guy almost killed you, and he's going to get four points on his driving record. That's it." I mean, it wasn't even like it was just the fact that I had assumed all of my life that if anything bad were to happen to us as a society, that we were going to look out for each other, and like the bad guy was not going to win. Then that was not necessarily the case. There's so many little loopholes because at the end of the day a bike is considered a vehicle. And because you are a vehicle on the road, when the laws were written, for whatever reason, they really didn't make a clear distinction. And so it's like you're being treated as an equal. It's like you're another car and it's ridiculous. So anyway, so the criminal process goes on for 13 months. This guy refuses to admit guilt for 13 months. And it's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I went through... I think there are three um, district attorney assistants that, you know, every time they were reassigned or whatever, I don't know what was happening, but it, it seems like every three months or so I would get a new one. And I had to make sure that the new DA was passionate about my case, that they fell in love with my case. And it wasn't just like another number on their desk. And all of this learning experience, I knew that most of my friends or most of the people I knew had no clue you know what this was all about finally i get a woman and the woman got it done in two weeks (laughs) (laughs) we went to court and yeah and she got it done and the the guy guess one of the things that he was trying to do was there's a a plea that is no lo contendere which means no contest it's like no contest and it, it does carry out the same consequences as if he would to admit guilt but it's not admitting admitting guilt. So I didn't want to take that. I said, you know, you're getting four points, dude. At least admit that you did it. After that's done, 
I was very, very fortunate. I got this phone call from Bicycle Colorado <laughs> and they wanted me to testify because there was a bill on the on the table that would dramatically increase the consequences for careless driving. So I went, I was terrified. Again, all of this is new to me, but there's something inside me. I was like, you know, Charles is not here. I get to do this. So I went over there and from the 20 or so people that were there, only two of us were cyclists. So that was also something that was like really, really stuck with me, how this impacted so many different types of people and, you know, how important it was to change things. So what was the bill? The bill was bill 175 and it's the careless, um, the vulnerable user of the road bill. So the bill basically changed going from four points to 12 points. The 12 points in Colorado implies that you're going to lose your license for a year. So that in itself is huge. Yeah. Then you also had, oh, well, obviously, driver said was a huge part. There's a very specific driver bicycle friendly course that Bicycle Colorado has put together. And that's part of this. The guy that hit me had to take this course. I see. So people who have been convicted of some sort of driving crime would have to take it. Would new drivers mm -hmm. have to take it? Well, this is something else. I mean, this is like, that's something that Bicycle Colorado right now is working really hard on because they're actually digitalizing this, this course. And I think it's a fantastic tool for yeah. anybody. I mean, the judge in my case said, you know, I think everybody should take this course. Just yeah. everybody. It doesn't matter where, if you're a new driver, I think later when we talk about it, it could be me. One of my main targets as far as education are the new drivers. I think they're the ones that you know, we'll change things. I think you were going to tell us how uh, Charles comes back into the picture. Well, Charles never really left me. I mean, Charles, I feel that Charles was always with me. He was with me when I did Kona. He He's always there. Um, at one point, I wanted to reach out to his family just because I felt this need to just like thank them. And we had the same lawyer and my lawyer said to me, you know, it was just a huge coincidence. He said, yeah. no. Right now, it's not a good time. You know, they're still grieving. And no. And I kid you not, within that week, his daughter reached out to me on social media. And she sent me a message, a really, really sweet message. And from then on, we became friends. She's come back to Boulder and we've seen each other. And our kids have played with each other like if they've known each other all their lives. I mean, it's just really, really neat. Yeah. But anyway, so going back to that and to the testifying, I mean, the first time I testified, there were about 20 of us. The second time I testified, there were only about four of us. So it's so important to people to really get involved involved, and just voice and, and understand that our voices are super powerful. Like our individual voices are can make the difference between, yeah. you know, what we want to accomplish. After the testifying, I, I also tried to promote this bill. I tried to get the community to reach out to their representatives to, to really support this bill so it would make it to the governor's desk. And it did. You know, with it could be me, all of these things that would seem like coincidences or just it just seems that things align to and it's constant. It's not just like once. It just it's almost like it's meant to be. With the governor, for example, at that point, I got invited to this event where I was able to talk to the governor. And it was like right in that process. And I'm like, you know, I know you have like about 350 bills, but, you know, bill 175 is really important because. Yeah. <laughs> so, and yeah, and then I got invited to the signing of the bill. It gave me such a huge sense of closure and like that everything that I had lived really had a purpose and a meaning. And it was just so much bigger than me. Yeah. And so then, um, you know, the, I, I remember in January, I attended this, this like seminar that's, um, that Rachel Joyce and Dana Platten put together. And it's like a, it's an, a, a, it's an athletic thing, but not really. It's more like a mental thing where you, you know, set goals and you kind of make a plan for your year of what you want to achieve. And one of the things I wrote down was, and I had no clue how I was going to do it. I want to help change the law and I want to put together something so we can make roads safer. And that was basically it. And then 
when the when the bill got passed because it was the signing was May 29th I remember Dana calling me and she was like oh my gosh this is actually kind of scary because <laughs> you wrote that down I'm like yeah I know then my daughter comes home from college she's studying um at the uh, at SCAD which is the Savannah College of Art and Design uh she's here for the summer and I keep telling her you know Charlie I want to put together a video because I think I started doing more and more research and I started finding all these studies that demonstrated that drivers were not seeing cyclists specifically as human anymore. We we're just like bugs, like roaches. I mean, and not one, so many studies. And huh. so I figured, well, you know, maybe if we remind drivers that we are human and that we're all just people, maybe they'll, they'll change. Maybe they'll change their behavior. And so she helped me. We put this video together with another one of her college um, classmates. He was a fantastic editor. And I asked my closest friends to just send me videos, just just showcasing something about themselves that made them themselves beyond cycling and the fact that they love cycling. And also, I asked them to, to make a vow to abide by all the rules of the road. Yeah. And, you know, that just making this this plea of from drivers to please look out for them and so i posted that first initial video that you know that we put together on a friday and within a week of that we had twenty five thousand views on facebook nice. of that particular video and at that point i never looked back i mean i had never Again, I've never been an advocate. I, I didn't really know what was going to happen. All I knew was that this was something that needed to change. And that was obviously hitting a lot of people. And, you know, everybody wanted to be involved in, and make a change. So suddenly I started getting all these videos. I mean, my call to action was that, you know, just asking for videos, asking those people that were making the videos to also share it within their net network so we could get out of like our little echo chamber and perhaps, you know, reach Uncle Bob with his F-150 that, you know, before wouldn't have been so kind to a cyclist. Well, maybe now they can see, I don't know, Joe right. <laughs> and you know, his nephew Joe. And, oh, that could be Joe. So I'm just going to be, you know. Right. So we got hundreds, literally hundreds of videos. Um, later that year, I got to go to Kona and I got videos from all the pros, from everybody in the industry. I just... I didn't have media credentials. I just was me with my 10 second elevator pitch and every single pro made a video for me. And it was again, super eye opening because the reason they did it was because they had either been hurt or someone that they loved had been hurt. So, you know, so I come back and we start the ambassador program and the ambassador program starts growing and growing and growing. Just like in this last month alone, I think we've gotten about 70 ambassadors. I mean, we are at 230 ambassadors worldwide. Nice. And these are all people that are extremely passionate. Some people are just adding this as another thing that they do because they're already super active in their communities. And some are just new. Some, some have been in crashes. Some have never been in crashes and they just want to raise awareness. So what do they do, your ambassadors? So pre-COVID, <laughs> we had certain um, plans, but now with COVID, things have radically changed. Right now, all I ask is for them to help me get involved in whatever capacity they can. I mean, there's people, like I said, there are more. Currently, I have, like for example, people in Texas that they are already working on this bill, and they've been working on it for a very long time. The the process in Texas is very different than other states. They have their sessions every other year. So they've been working on this for quite some time. But so there's that level of involvement to where these people were even like drafting the bill to um, to just posting a couple of times a week or a couple of times a month. Whatever whatever you can do is okay. It's never not going to be okay. As long as you want to change things, as long as you can keep the dialogue open, Anything and anything that you can do is welcome. Anything they can do around raising awareness or mm -hmm. helping to help the laws change for safety on the road for cyclists? Yes, and for vulnerable users, for everybody. Um, um, I have runners in the program. I have moms. I have like all sorts of people 
in the program and they're from all over the world. And I, I guess just, yeah, the, the, the goal is to create that empathy, to remind others that, you know, we're just people. We also have built communities that were meant to be obviously in person back in the day, but now they're all virtual. And so I have, well, we have a couple of groups on Facebook. One of them is designed to welcome all these new writers that came in because of COVID. So that's a space where there's three, three of our ambassadors that are um, certified instructors by the League of American Cyclists. They're in charge of that group. And it's a space where you can come in and ask all sorts of questions, you know, like silly questions or questions that are not silly, but that you might think are silly because you're just starting. That's the space. And, you know, you can find this community that is basically doing the same stuff that you are. And hopefully in the future, that's a place where you can meet up to to get into a group ride, right? And different places, wherever it is that you live. So that's called Let's Ride. Then we have It Could Be Me Connect. That's a group that um, is led by a crash survivor. And what our purpose there is to connect other crash survivors so they can learn about this whole process that I was describing to you guys that, you know, it's really very foreign to most of us, whether it's the criminal process or just how recovery, you know, all of the different elements so you can make a positive recovery. We have connected um, resources for like different lawyers, different therapists, a network that you can access and just feel that you have the support of others that are either going through stuff that you were going through or, you know, just kind of even like a big brother, little, little brother kind of system. So mm-hmm. we also do um, Zoom calls and, you know, so people can get to know each other. That's called Connect and it's on Facebook. Then I also did a series of webinar episodes with different, with very specific people because I wanted to have this library of people that if you wanted to ask or if you have any questions about certain topics, you could just go back and refer back within our website. That was her webinar series. Well, then we have our ambassador group. Yeah, I mean, the idea is just to have this place where you can go and you can feel safe no matter where you are in life and you find people that are there with you. And that's another thing that the ambassadors do. They also help me creating a lot of content. With the pandemic, I have content coming from all over the world and, you know, people just sharing a bike ride or just, you know, talking about how important it is for them to, you know, to keep a lookout for them, you know? So, so yeah, the ambassadors are phenomenal. I'm just, I'm very, very grateful for everybody that has gotten involved. And it's just mm. kind of crazy to me how fast we're growing. Aligned with that, we have our sponsors. We have these great partnerships. I mean, we have, I mean, and you guys can check them out on our website, but we have support from people like Head Sweats, like Core Sports, Rudy Project, um, Noon, um, and it's just endless, Newton running. And these guys are just there, you know, because they want, they have the same goal. They all want to make roads safer. And this is kind of a way that they can achieve that. Right now, I just got off a phone call with 3M Scotch Light, and they're, we're going to start doing something with them. They have all these amazing reflective things that you can put on your backpack or on, on your clothes. And they're invisible unless there's something reflecting. And so it's really, really cool. That sounds great. One of the first partners we had was Cyclic. And Cyclic yeah. is a camera that has a light and they yeah. are constantly, you can program them to do whatever you want, but you can have them um, like just constantly recording the front light and the back light. Yeah. They're great. I heard of those. Yeah. They're amazing. They're, they're a tiny little company in Australia. And so to connect with them, it's really, really like, yeah, our, our time zones are just not. <laughs> so yeah. I end up talking to them about like eight or nine o'clock at night, but they're great people. They're super nice. And yeah, yeah, they've been very, very supportive. They have actually, they have this website called Upride. And that is, if you guys check out Upride, that's kind of okay. scary and terrifying. It's all the video. It's quite amazing. Accidents. Videos that were recorded by their cameras. Yep. It will mm-hmm. send in. And yeah. it's just, oh. it's amazing. When you, re- you realize it's like, that could have been me. It really makes sense. That mm-hmm. 
And there's also a map, so you can actually avoid certain hotspots. Hmm. That's like the most impactful thing to me. Like when I open up the map and I see where all the incidents are occurring, and you can just avoid them <laughs> altogether. <laughs> like, oh, I'm looking over. Oh, gosh, you'd like to think that the cities would be looking for that information so that they could add flashing lights or something. What I've learned is that they do. So Strava has a, a division called Metro, and that's who works with the cities. So all the uh, information that we upload as athletes goes back to Metro, and Metro uses those resources to help um, different cities and different towns to that's, create better very infrastructure. Smart. Very smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, so things that I've learned. <laughs> I don't know any of this stuff, um, but yeah. Well, maybe it's just a matter of time. You know, I mean, it's it's tough to change drivers who have been driving a certain way for twenty or thirty or forty years. But if you get at the new drivers and we teach mm -hmm. them right now, like my kids are learning to drive right now, and if I can teach them to be aware and sensitive to this, then they'll be better than I was from the beginning. And they won't have to become sensitized to it later. Well, there's oh, another course. feature coming out now is the autonomous vehicles. Maybe it may be some years down yeah. the road, but the autonomous vehicles identify cyclists and the car will mm -hmm. actually steer away from a cyclist, which is interesting. Yeah, absolutely. The technology is heading yeah. in the right direction. Yeah, that's a good um, thing. <laughs> Right now, I think we're in a moment in time where we are incredibly fortunate. Our new secretary of transportation is, he talks like advocates talk. You know, he is, he really, really wants to encourage micro mobility and create infrastructure. And just, he is the first person I hear really talking like advocates talk. He uses the same words. He, he wants the same things and he's not going to stop until he gets it done. And he did it in his, he was a mayor and he did it in his community. And, you know, he's, he's just amazing. Yeah. There's reason to hope. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, when I started, I, I really modeled after the mad movement. And I don't know if you guys know what the mad movement is. Sure. Mothers against drunk drivers. Mm -hmm. I think the way they got things done was through having very specific elements as part of their movement. One of them was education. Another one was legislative change, which is also our policy change, which is something that, you know, we want to get involved as much as possible as, and as well. And um, a very visual movement, which is what we're trying to do with it could be me. And we added the community outreach. I think that that's crucial for us too. But yeah, but they, yeah. they were able to do it. They, they changed things at a federal level. They changed the mindset. I mean, I know that my kids right now that are starting to drive, it's just, you're a loser if you think about, you know, driving and drinking. When we were growing up, I mean, you know, it was, it was not the right thing to do, yeah. but it wasn't. Right now, it's just like you're an absolute loser if you even consider doing that, you know? It's totally oh, yeah. different. And so th yeah. they were able to change that. So if they can change that, we can change this narrative as well. I think that's a great model because I think it's true. I think that the whole drunk driving thing was thought of as this impossible problem to solve, and it was unfortunate, and people should just try to be a little mm -hmm. more careful. But they really made a tremendous difference and it's totally unacceptable. They changed our culture for yeah. the better. And, you know, I'm a fan of the founder and I actually got to talk to her. Her name's Candace and, you know, she gave me some advice nice. and, and we actually support, we're partners with her. She has another, she, she left mad and she started another um, nonprofit and we partner with her. And so it's really, it's cool. Yeah. I think Fabulous. right now, not only um, secretary Buttigieg, but there's so many different groups that are really, really having success trying to change the narrative and attacking it in different ways. I mean, it could be it's just one of the multiple little ways of seeing this and this solution. Let's just focus on having a solution. Yeah. But there's Vision Zero, for example. Vision Zero is growing and growing and growing, and they're they're a force. They're the people that visualize zero deaths. And they're a program that started in Sweden and they're everywhere. And it's really inspiring to see that they're getting things done. They're safer streets. There's, right. there's so many people. And I guess the more that you dive yeah. into the space, the more you get to know these advocates and the more that you 
learn from their philosophies. And it's just really motivating. Well, and it's also great that you have been able to turn this unfortunate thing into something positive, Mm -hmm. not just for all of us to benefit from, but uh, helps give you even more purpose in your life. Yeah. You know, I think that it just makes things make more sense to me. Again, to me, it's a privilege to be able to be here and to have survived. And I think it's like the least I can do. Yeah. You know, a couple of months before I got hurt, I one of my teammates got hurt and she's still having surgeries and she's still struggling. Another friend from Texas, she was on a ride at eight o'clock in the morning in a group. And this guy who was completely drunk rammed into her and she has lost her leg. You know, so it's not okay. And I think we as a society have to take care of each other and just you know, look out for each other. It's not that hard. We can do it. And we should be able to be out there and have fun. And, you know, there's so many positive things that come with just being active and whatever, you know, whatever moves you, whether it's going out and running or walking or riding your bike. And we should feel safe, you know. Right. So we want to encourage that. Right. We want to, you know. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, we we want people to ride their yeah. bikes to work. Fewer cars mm-hmm. on the road, burning gas, and needing more roads and bigger roads. And so that's all good. We just have to make it so that you're not having to risk your life every time you go out there. And again, I think that's where Secretary Buttigieg is going to have a huge impact because he he is thinking about this infrastructure and he is going to. There's right now there's these new grants over a billion dollars that's accessible for infrastructure for building infrastructure. Race R A I S E, and it stands for Rebuilding American Infrastructure with Sustainability and Equity, and that's what he's behind. A billion dollars is available for infrastructure projects across the country. It's great to have the financial support makes it easier on the yeah. cities to to do the right mm-hmm. thing. Well, Trini, that's an amazing story. <laughs> Congratulations Thank for you. turning lemons into lemonade. And it feels like you're just at the beginning. Uh, I mean, you're going to keep doing this and making it bigger and better and working with these other bicycle advocacy organizations as well. And So hopefully by the time this airs, um, this will be a reality. But yeah, we are a nonprofit and we're anxiously awaiting just our 501c3 certification by the IRS. I know that like tax time got in the way, so maybe that's why we've been delayed a little bit, but but we already have a great board of directors and it's just the beginning. Well, what we should do is give some information to people so that they can contact you in whatever way you want to be contacted and find your website. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll have your board of directors there and, uh, and sure. ways that people can contribute or volunteer. And your website is it, it could, could be, be me. Dot org. Dot, dot org. Mm-hmm. Great. It's a really nice website, by the way. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Again, okay. uh, these things that I told you that just kind of happen and seem to be coincidences. This group of cyclists from Wisconsin re- reached out to me in the very, very start and they asked me if I had a website. No. And they put it together, they host it, they do everything. Nice. And up until like maybe mid year last year, um, they were taking care of everything, but then now they called me and like, you know, we have so much work. We'll <laughs> teach you. We're going to teach you. And so they still host it. They do everything, but I'm the one who's pretty much inputting stuff. So if there's anything wrong with it, it's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't see anything wrong. But that's also where the webinars and other other uh, useful information. So so uh, we'll put yeah. that in the show notes for anybody who has any trouble with that, as as well as any other things that you want to put in there. I'll collect that from you later. Is there anything else that we should share with our audience? No. I mean, just look up on our website. If you want to join us, we'll be really grateful to have you and really um, welcome pretty much anything and every type of help that you guys can offer. And we can and we will make roads safer together. But we have to work together. Awesome. That's great. Well, nice work and congratulations. Thank you. Well, we'll stop here. Uh, Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Yeah, I can talk forever, as you can see. <laughs> yeah, like it's good, forever. though. It's, it's an amazing story. Just amazing. Important stuff. Yeah. All righty. Have a good day. 
Thank you so much for listening in to our discussion with Trini Willerton about her inspirational path to achieving her goal of racing at the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii, and then founding It Could Be Me, a nonprofit on a mission to change the relationship between drivers and vulnerable users of the road by rehumanizing cyclists and creating a movement of mutual responsibility and respect to make the roads safer together. Be sure to check out the show notes for more details and the contact info for Trini and It Could Be Me. And if you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Thanks again.